0: If you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Luke 5. And that's where we'll be camped out tonight. Luke 5. And we'll be starting in verse 17. I'll read about 10 verses. Luke 5, starting in verse 17. Let's read that together. On one of those days, as he was teaching, "...Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal." We're talking about Jesus here. "...And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus." And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, Rise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Let's pray one more time briefly before we go on. Father, may the truth be spoken and grasped by our hearts and our minds tonight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, when we come to this story in Luke 5, we find Jesus in what seems to be a very common situation for him at this stage in his ministry. If you'll look back right before we started uh, at verse 15, look at what it tells us. It says, Now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. So he's constantly surrounded by crowds of people who are clamoring to hear what he has to say and be physically healed by him. And so as verse 17 tells us, Jesus was teaching in a house one day and along, uh, along with the usual crowds, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law there. And the text tags on this little bit of information for us. It says, And the power of the Lord... Was with him to heal. Now, this seems a little unnecessary to me at first glance that the power of the Lord is with him to heal, because it seems like Jesus usually had healing power. As he's going along, he's healing people all over the place. But notice that Jesus' healing power has now been mentioned twice in just three verses. First, in verse 15, saying that people were following him to be healed, and second, saying that he has the power to heal them. This is setting us up for what comes next. Look at verse 18. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. Now, stop there. Why were they carting him in, this man, uh, in to lay him before Jesus? He's a paralyzed man. What are they hoping to happen? They're hoping he'll be healed, of course. Uh, they were not, you know, it wasn't to bring him before Jesus and get a lollipop and a pat, a pat on the head. They're hoping that he'll be healed, of course. He wanted to be able to walk and run and move freely again. He wanted to be able to do all those things that everybody normally does, that he had been unable to do for so long. And these men all believed that this man Jesus had the power and authority to do just that, to perform a miracle and heal this poor guy. So they bring him in, and he's been healing people all over the region, so they figure, why not this man? They had full confidence that Jesus was the solution to his greatest problem, his greatest need. In fact... You can see their confident persistence in verse 19 when they couldn't find a way in. It says that finding no way in to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his uh, with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. Now, picture this scene. It's easy to just pass right over this because it's a, fami- a familiar story to most of us. Uh, you know, we don't think much of it. But they're sitting there listening to the Lord Jesus teach, like you're listening to me right now, only a lot better. And uh, Jesus is teaching along. And all of a sudden, they start hearing footsteps on the roof. Doom, 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 doom. And they're in a house, probably more than likely, a house that uh, had one story inside, roof. And they would uh, be able to go up on the roof through a staircase on the outside. Um, and they would do things on the roof. So these guys climb up the stairs, get on the roof, and they're hearing somebody going around up there, and they're wondering, what is happening? Okay, but Jesus is teaching, so I'm going to focus. I'm going gonna, gonna to tune out the distractions uh, I'm going to listen to Jesus anyway. So they, they focus in, and yet all of a sudden they start to hear a scratching on the roof. Something's going on up there, and all of a sudden pieces of thatch or whatever the roof is made of are coming in and falling on Jesus' head while he's teaching. So by now, nobody's going to be able to resist the distraction. They're they're wondering, what is happening here? Jesus is probably even looking up, you know, just amazed. He's, he's interrupted completely in his sermon. And... um so all of a sudden, they look up, there's this giant hole in the roof that these guys have dug through, and the sun's coming through, and they start to lower a mat. You just see this bed start to lower down in front of you, and here it comes, and it just lays right in front of Jesus. Now, can you imagine what the people were thinking sitting there? You've got Pharisees, you've got teachers of the law, you've got regular people who were there to be healed of physical problems. And they're thinking, who are these crazy guys? What are they doing? They're interrupting Jesus' teaching. They're, inter- uh, they're interrupting this message. And uh, of course, somebody in the crowd is stuck thinking, great, I've got to call a roofer now because these guys have ruined my house. Uh, but certainly, this moment was filled with uh, pregnant tension and anticipation. It's just this very tense moment. What is Jesus going to do? How is he going to respond? Will he be angry at the disruption? Will he heal the man? Who obviously he needs to be healed. They can see he's paralyzed. Or will he rebuke him and his friends? And we look at verse 20 and we see it says, when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. What a strange thing to say, right? Why was the guy there? He was there to be healed. He's obviously there to be uh, healed of his paralysis, which most anyone would agree is his biggest problem in his life, uh, the greatest obstacle he had to overcome. And so this man, is, he comes in and he's looking up at Jesus, about to burst probably with anticipation. He's about to get healed. And Jesus looks down at him in his helpless state and says, your sins are forgiven. It seems very strange, certainly, at the time. Uh, this is intended to be a surprising response. Why would he say this? No one there knew it quite yet, but Jesus was in fact healing this man of his greatest burden, his uh, his deepest need, and yet it wasn't his physical paralysis. I saw a movie uh, this past weekend called The Happening. Any of you heard of it? Seen the previews for it? The previews don't really tell you anything at all. You just it just kind of looks like something interesting. Oh, I wanted to see that. Uh, I didn't know anything going in. It's the latest M. Night Shyamalan movie, and I didn't know anything prior to seeing it, except that the preview looked cool, and some guys wanted to see it, so we went and saw it. And all, and uh, so without giving too much away, I don't want to ruin it for you, uh, but the basic idea was that people were in New York City and Central Park at the beginning, and all of a sudden, uh, something starts happening. People just stop in the middle of the park and other people are watching them that aren't affected yet, but people stop and, and they start mumbling things to themselves, oddly, just mumbling random things that they had been talking about previously. Uh, I need to drop my bike off. And they'd say that over and over again, and it was very strange. And then all of a sudden, each one of them would kill themselves in some random way. If there was a gun nearby, they would grab the gun and kill themselves. If they were on a building, there were construction workers, they'd just start walking off the building. It was very strange and, uh, and it got kind of gruesome in some places, uh, watching people. But but something triggered in their brains, and all of a sudden, they would just commit suicide. They just uh, There was nothing holding them back from killing themselves. And so this starts to spread throughout the Northeast, and nobody knows uh, what's going on. They just know that people keep doing this. It keeps happening, and it's starting to spread further and further out from New York. And so people... Uh spread into other regions. They try to flee and get into the rural areas because it's not happening in the rural areas. But then it starts happening there too. And then they think, oh, well, maybe it's because we're in too large of groups. It's going from larger populations to smaller. Well, let's get into smaller groups and it won't happen to us. And then it keeps happening. It just keeps happening. No matter what they do, it keeps happening. Uh, and the name of the movie is The Happening. And it keeps happening. And they knew they needed to get away from this epidemic. They knew that they needed to get away. Their lives depended on it, but things never seemed to get better because without identifying and attacking the root problem, the killings just kept following them. Nothing was going to get better until they got to the heart of what was wrong. And that's where I'm going to stop. I'm not going to let you find out what it is. And uh, But you can go see the movie yourself if you want to know. But they, got, they, they had to find out what was causing this. If they're going to get away from it and be spared. And I think we often make the same mistake of thinking that, Problems that we have are the greatest problems when they're not the greatest problems. We don't get to the root problem that causes other things. We think that our physical, our financial problems, our social problems, educational, uh, relational problems are our greatest areas of need. We think that uh, if we can just get that next promotion and raise or if we can just save some money in this area or if we can uh, get more education in society, then, oh, that'll make things better in our culture or if I could just get in shape... That would be great. Or uh, if I could get past this physical illness that I have, then my life would be better. And while some of those things have truth to them, contrary to popular opinion, our greatest problem is not disease. And our greatest problem is not lack of education. and Our greatest problem is not relational strain in marriages or between parents and kids. Our greatest problem is our sin and nothing else. Sin is the root problem that must be addressed first and foremost. And so fortunately, when we come to this text, we find out that Jesus is able to address the problem and and in fact has done so. So here's the point of the text. The big idea of this story of Jesus healing the paralytic man is that Jesus has full authority to grant forgiveness of sins through faith in Him. Now that seems strange. Like I said that a story about a healing would point us to Jesus' authority to forgive sins. But when we look at the text, that's what we find. Yes, he can heal the lame and blind. Yes, he shows us how to live by his example. Yes, he shows great mercy to the poor and the outcast. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to fix our sin problem, our greatest, deepest problem, and bring us back to the Father from whom we were estranged. And that, above all else, is the main point of this narrative about a paralyzed guy who came to Jesus to be healed. He got lowered through a roof. That Jesus has full authority to forgive sins uh, through faith in Him. So I'd like to look at this big idea under three uh, quick headings. We're just going to break it down very simply. Under purpose, authority, and means. Jesus' purpose, His authority, and the means by which He forgives. First is the purpose of Jesus' ministry. And we've already touched on this briefly, but it's that Jesus came... With the purpose of forgiving sins, that was his whole, that was the uh, umbrella under which he came to minister. All the other things were uh, were peripheral to that hub. To come to bring sinners back to God, and again, though he had the power of the Lord to heal, he didn't immediately heal this lame man. Instead, we read in verse twenty that he tells him his sins are forgiven. Why? Well, it's because he didn't come merely to heal physical ailments. Or to educate, or to set a good example, or to make the world a better place. Even though he did do all those things, these things are all symptoms of the deeper problem. They're all the peripherals that point us to a deeper cause, a deeper issue. And so, rather than treating symptoms, he treats the root cause by God's wisdom. He, he treats the root issue that ruins everything else, and that's our sin. And uh, you know, when Jesus looks at when Jesus looks at this paralyzed man, he doesn't just see a guy who has a physical problem. When he looks at uh, us when we have bouts with cancer, or us when we go through relational strain and broken marriages and uh, estranged family relationships, and we go through all the things, loss of jobs, Jesus doesn't look at that and say, That's your greatest problem. He looks at it and says, He sees sin because that's what caused all of it the fall of man is where death entered and all these problems started and so he came to deal with that not just the symptoms all those things that we experience all the time but our sin that caused it so when he looks at this crippled paralyzed man on the ground who has come to him in faith he he addresses his sin problem first instead of healing him now this series we're in right now is called mighty to save and we're Different staff members are teaching through the miracles of Jesus in the New Testament, right? And so as we look across these miracles uh, that Jesus performed, it's apparent that each miracle He performs is intended to represent something about Christ and His saving work. And the people He heals are pictures of us, the human race, in need of salvation. And so with that in mind, think about the man in this story again. What's his condition? What's his life like? How is he hindered? He's a paralyzed man. So that means he's unable to move, at least part of his body. He's unable to get up and walk. He can't just get up and take care of himself. This is intended to be a picture of us in our sin. Man is alienated from God, held captive by sin. We're unable to get up and walk away from our problem. You know you've tried. (laughs) You've tried to overcome your sin. I have too. And we can't just get up and walk out of it, can we? We keep coming back to it. We keep finding the ugliness of our sin uh, welling up within our hearts in different ways. It manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. And so we're crippled by sin's power, unable to get up and walk away from it. Uh, unable to live rightly, regardless of what laws are passed or how much education we have or how financially secure we are or whatever. Our sin has made us helplessly lame. And all of this explains why Jesus acted in the way that he did. He dealt first with the core issue of sin before addressing the symptoms, such as this man's paralyzed condition. Now, when Jesus was born, he was named Jesus. Why? Because an angel had said... He will save His people from their what? Sins. He will save His people from their sins. How did John the Baptist identify Jesus uh, when he first started his public ministry? He said, what? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew, John the Baptist knew what the prophets had said and he already had in mind Christ's sacrificial death. He may not have known all the details, but he knew what had to happen that Jesus would carry the sins of all who trust in Him. And Peter would later write, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. And hear this, By His wounds you have been healed. Healed. So healing, our deepest healing, comes by Jesus bearing our sins on the cross. In this room there are certainly problems and and concerns galore i know i have mine and they're small and um but many of you have loved ones who are sick you have all kinds of issues you're some we have people in this church who are battling all kinds of things going through chemotherapy and radiation we have folks who are out of work you guys know your own issues and the the issues of those around you and they weigh heavily on us they're life-threatening diseases and all kinds of things And God knows every one of those things. He sees each and every one and cares about them. And He has the power to heal even the most desperate problems. But it is important to remember that our greatest threat in this world is not any of those things. Our greatest problem is our sin problem. Everything comes back to that. And with all the crowds clamoring around Jesus for healing of their bodies, He used this choice opportunity to point them to His true purpose, which was to come and bring forgiveness of sins, not just to heal the body, but to deal with our our deepest problem and to bring us back to God. So get that first and foremost. Now, continuing on in the passage, look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And what a great question that is. Who can forgive sins but God himself? I think the religious leaders are on the right track here. Uh, They just didn't know it. Who can forgive sins committed against God himself? Can you? Can I? (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, Who can do that? If I walked up to somebody in the Collierville Mall just randomly and said, uh, Hey, brother, your sins are forgiven. I forgive you of all your sins. They would look at me like I had five eyes in my head. They would think I was insane, and rightly so, because I have no authority. On what basis could I forgive someone's sins? Uh, unless they had just wronged me in some way, I could say, I forgive you for that. But that doesn't take care of their guilt before their maker. That doesn't take care of uh, what, how they are separated from their God. Sin is first and foremost an offense against God, and I am not Him, and you are not Him. So who can forgive sins but God alone? It's a good question. And yet the second point that we see in this text is that Jesus came with the authority to to forgive sins. He came with the purpose to forgive sins, but He also came with the authority to do so. When we come to this scene, we find out that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had come from all over to hear Jesus, to observe Him. This was quite an audience. You know, if you're a rising sports star uh, you, you you look for the scouts and the recruits to be in the stands when you're playing. Uh, th- that's how you're going to make it in, the, in that field. If you're an aspiring singer, now you go to American Idol and hope to impress the judges on your first audition, right? So that you can get before America and uh, do your thing and get a record deal. Make it in, in the music business. And here, Jesus is teaching in front of this entourage of Pharisees, the high, high teachers, and it's his chance to impress them, right? <laughs> Except that he's not seeking their approval at all. Uh, he, in fact, is set against them. And here's why. They, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at the time were specialized not so much in the Bible, but rather in the oral tradition that was passed down from rabbi to rabbi. And so Jesus would attack this man-made tradition over and over, all throughout his ministry, calling it uh, the, a teaching of man that leads people away from God instead of to him. The religious leaders were leading people away from God rather than to him. And so here, in front of this uh, high teaching authority where he could have impressed them and had probably a great career as a rabbi, um, Jesus comes in this choice moment, and uh, rather than simply performing a healing again and impressing everyone, Jesus intentionally causes a stir. He causes a stir by drawing attention to his divine authority. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And immediately the sirens went off in the, in the Pharisees' minds. They're thinking, wait a second here. This joker is claiming to be God himself. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Who is this? Actually, they didn't, they didn't think he was claiming to be God yet, but he does in other places. He is claiming to be God. And they say, who's this joker who is speaking blasphemy? Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus is thinking, yes, exactly. Exactly. He's making a deliberate statement of his own divinity in these words of forgiveness. And contrary to what some say, he does actually claim this in many places elsewhere. Flip over with me just for a second to the right in John. John chapter 5. And just look at something real fast. John chapter 5. Look at verse 15. I just want you to see this. It's important to note this in these days because people deny that Jesus made himself out to be equal with God, the Son of God, and actually God himself. John five fifteen and following, it says, The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were per- persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath but he was even calling God his own father, get this, making himself equal with God. Now turn right another page or two to John 8. Look at verse 57. John 8, starting in verse 57, says, So the Jews said to him, You're not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, For Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. Now one more flip over to to John 10, starting in verse 30. He says, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. And the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus was not some poor, naive, nice guy who was just doing his thing and innocent and all of a sudden he got caught up in a thing and he was misunderstood and said so they killed him. No, people wanted him dead because they understood exactly what he was saying about himself and they didn't believe. Jesus very clearly asserts his authority in this text when he forgave this lame man's sins and he's claiming the very authority of God himself. But he could read their doubtful thoughts even, which also proves his deity. He's reading the thoughts of men. He could see faith in one group and he could see doubt in this other group. They're not even talking out loud. They're thinking in their hearts, the text says. Um, And so Jesus reads their their doubtful thoughts and decides, I'm going to prove my authority after all. So look at verse 22, back to Luke 5. Verse 22, When Jesus perceived their thoughts, He answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may believe that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And He turns to the man who is paralyzed and says, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. What an amazing demonstration of God's power to validate Jesus' claim to divine authority. Anyone can say, your sins are forgiven. I could walk up to somebody at the Collierville Mall and say, hey, I forgive all your sins. (laughs) That's easy to say, but it doesn't carry much weight, does it? Unless you've got something to back it up. And Jesus proves that He has the authority to say that by healing this man miraculously in front of everyone. But, even though he performed this great miracle to validate his authority, Jesus' divine status is ultimately proven in the gospel, namely in the, the cross and the empty tomb. It was on the cross as he died, as he gave himself for the healing of the world, that the centurion and his guards, they saw the midday darkness. They, they felt the ground shake. The earth was trembling. They heard Jesus cry out to his Father, And they concluded, surely He was the Son of God. Surely. And then at the open tomb, the empty tomb, when He was raised from the dead, God had given public testimony before all history that this Jesus was His beloved, accepted Son. It was a public demonstration of that for all the world to see. Jesus came to earth to bring forgiveness to sinners. And He has the the authority to do so because of His divine status. But most importantly because He Himself bore all the sins in His own body for all the people He forgave. Now one thing remains to be discussed. One last thing. The means by which men and women receive that forgiveness. And the answer lies in this very passage. In the contrast between the two kinds of people and the response Jesus makes to each one of them. There are Pharisees, those who doubted and accused jesus those who came without a sense of need for him but rather with a sense of pride about themselves those who came not seeking forgiveness but rendering judgment those uh coming as those who were well rather than those who needed a physician those who were proud rather than humble righteous as righteous ones seeking credit rather than guilty ones seeking forgiveness but it wasn't these who received forgiveness this day was it Nor is it people like them who are forgiven today. Rather, it's the poor, broken man who looked to Jesus in faith, carried by his believing friends. There was no pride in this man. There was no self-sufficiency in his heart. He knew he could do nothing. And so, what happened? He simply came to Jesus in his weakness, in the grip of sin and its consequences on his physical body. And he trusted him. And that's our third point tonight. The means is that Jesus came to forgive sins through faith alone in him alone. I assume that this is nothing new uh, to most of you, but Christians in this room, it's easy. We often start to drift into this mindset that uh, we no longer need the great physician. I'm speaking about myself as much as anybody, um, that we don't need to come to Christ anymore to be healed after our conversion. But nothing could be further from the truth. Jesus said in John 6, He said, I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to Me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in Me will never thirst. But did you know that in that text when He uses those words comes and believes, that those are in the Greek language, actually they have a continual aspect to them? So when He says that, He's saying, whoever comes to Me and comes to Me and comes to Me and comes and keeps on coming continually, will never, ever go hungry. And whoever believes in me and keeps believing and keeps believing continually will never thirst. You know your own heart, don't you? Don't you feel yourself being like the verse of the hymn we sang earlier, uh, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. I sense that in my in my own heart all the time in small ways. Not, not about to abandon the faith, but just in... How I turn from him, I'm not coming to Him to sustain me, to, to, to grow me, to wean me off of my love of sin. Jesus came to grant forgiveness to the worst of sinners, and he has full authority to do so. So my challenge to you tonight, it's very simple. There's nothing new in this text, I don't think for you guys, but it's a good reminder that Jesus came for this purpose primarily to heal us of our sin problem. So keep coming to Jesus with humility and faith. Keep laying your mat before Him, lowering it through the roof, expecting to be forgiven and healed, and then glorify God that you're able to stand in His presence in Christ. Let's pray and thank God for that. Father, it's easy for us to forget that Uh, Your blood has washed away our sin, that you came uh, to deal with our sin problem ahead of all our felt needs in this world. Lord, we have so many issues and and valid issues, but uh, we know that above all those things, your greatest concern is taking care of our sin and removing it and reconciling us to you, to glorify you eternally, to be with you forever, enjoying your presence and so tonight we confess that we wander from you that we uh, are not trusting you fully all the time but lord we ask that you'll give us more faith lord we ask that you'll forgive us and heal us even now and i ask that for each one of us here you will continue to draw us to your feet to be healed again and again to come to you and be filled to come to you to to quench our thirst and believe in you constantly, every day. Would You do that for Your name's sake, Lord? Would You uh, keep us near to You when we want to wander? For the glory of Christ Jesus we pray. Amen.